0: Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your
1: host for new focus on wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. It's just chad at chadburton.com, chad at chadburton.com. Well, April is almost over. And returns have been pretty great so far this year. Um, Even though we have surging global cases of COVID, particularly in India, it's been falling here. And we're looking at the S&P 500 since January, up a little over 12% for the total return so far this year. Total return is the price movement plus any dividends paid so far. And half of this actually came in April. So April has been a pretty good month. um, That's for sure. When you get double digits before mid-year, you gotta think to yourself, hey, if I'm retired and I've spent too much of my cash and I need to make sure I have three years worth of portfolio draws in cash to make sure that I'm always prepared for any kind of a longer-term market correction, it's, it's, this is times when you look at your portfolio and consider that. If you're younger, still trying to build wealth, doesn't really matter, just continue to put money away tax advantage, get the match in the 401k, get that tax-free growth in the Roth, keep investing. Um, now, the other thing that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, the other thing that wealthier people, uh, people that make over a million dollars of income, think of trimming these days already just because of the potential higher capital gains that we'll talk about later in the show so the S&P 500, which is a large cap growth index these days, is up 12 percent. Small cap value is up 27 percent. If I look at uh, one of the iShare small cap value ETFs, small cap growth up 16 percent. I Feel like a kind of a combination of small and mid with a lot of biotech involved in it. The Russell 2000 is what you would look at. That's up almost 17 percent for the year. Emerging markets um, up. Little over six percent for the year, or almost six percent to the year for the year. If I look at EEM, an ETF that represents emerging markets, EFA, international developed markets, more that European exposure, I guess you could say, in the larger developed, uh, non US countries, it's up a bit over eight percent. So Emerging markets was doing a bit better. So it's below its highs for the year, but then we had an increase in the dollar, but rates have then come back down. Longer term trend because of all of this stimulus and all of these expanding budget deficits, probably lower, but in that there's still a lot of value overseas, which I'm going to get into in a little bit here. The other thing that is going to pop up a lot is more and more people are going to get angry when the government continues to talk about inflation as if it does not exist. A few days ago in Barron's, uh, Lisa Bifas wrote an article, the Fed infa- inflation blind spot. Ugh, I can't talk today. The Fed inflation blind spot. And talking about this, and we, we've talked about this on the show before, when you have the Federal Reserve saying, well, we're going to kind of see how long inflation stays around, essentially. Is this going to be a, a one-time shot Because... Everybody's getting back to work. Everybody's getting back out and about again. But they're kind of ignoring this whole idea of food and energy costs. And now seemingly it seems like rent, because a lot of rents have gone up in in specific places, especially if you're looking at places where a lot of people have moved. If they got sick of Oregon and California and states like that, Moving to Arizona, rents have gone way up in a lot of those areas, especially in the Scottsdale, Prescott, and all those other areas. And so there's a lot of people that are really kind of concerned about what the Fed is looking at and saying, oh, we're not going to raise rates yet. There's a lot of money going on out there. A lot of people receive stimulus checks. And a lot of people received a lot of unemployment income. And it was really travel, leisure industry, restaurant workers, things like that, that took the hit. But everybody got some sort of form of stimulus in this case. So cash levels are extremely high. Spending on foreign goods is extremely high. Our trade deficit is expanding. It's been expanding at a pretty high pace lately. So the Fed is kind of ignoring the surging groceries and, and housing prices, wondering if it's just going to be kind of a 2021 story, right? Or... The demand for housing is so high because rates are low and everybody's like, oh, rates are going to go up in the future, so we better get that house now. We better remodel now. We better refinance now, take money out so we can fix our house now before rates go up. So if you are considering starting a remodel project, because I essentially have two forced remodel projects going on, one with an office building that a homeless person started a fire at, in Vancouver, Washington back when COVID just got underway and nobody was in the building. And then a water leak at the house, which led to a finding mold in the ceiling of our lower level, which had to remove the entire ceiling of our lower level. And since it was a house built in two, they basically said, Hey, if you want to do anything upstairs, it needs to be done now because we're able to access plumbing and everything else. Um, so yeah, it's essentially my house. I will not probably be able to move back in until maybe Memorial day, hopefully, but it's more likely mid June because plumbing is on back order. All of the finishing stuff is just hard to get. The supply chain was still kind of screwed up, but then the demand went way up. So anybody dealing with this kind of stuff knows that lumber prices are way up and it's hard to get goods. So Keep that in mind. If you're about to start a project, it's taking way longer than normal. Lots of inflation in a lot of different areas right now. And then we have another stimulus coming down the road. More fiscally oriented. <clears throat> and so people are really worried about the budget deficit. One of them is Jeffrey Gundlach, who um, is kind, of, kind of considered the bond king these days. I like Scott Martin a bit better from Guggenheim, but Gundlach is an sh- extremely smart individual. And... I'm going to give you two kind of opposite views. Not really that opposite, but Gunlock was on Bloomberg and he was talking about U.S. stocks look to be very expensive in any metric. He was looking at the CAPE ratio. Um, and he, he just thinks U.S. stocks are, are really expensive right now. But the yield on stocks versus the yield on bonds is actually making U.S. bonds look not so overvalued anymore. But he does like Asian and European stocks. He actually bought European stocks in one of his asset allocation funds for the first time in many years. So he's been adding to Europe. He sees more value overseas. And a lot of it has to do with like, what he said, a longer-term dollar decline, U.S. dollar decline, budget deficits exploding because of all this fiscal stimulus, and the trade deficit's starting to expand. Why? Endless checks being sent out. Two rounds of stimulus checks. Tons of shipping containers coming from overseas to the US to supply everybody on the packages that they're receiving on their front porch from Amazon. And, and then these containers are just going back to Asia empty. So these checks are just you know Amazon and packaging companies. And China has done really well as a result of these stimulus checks. The price of shipping has gone up like 100% since lockdown. That's another form of inflation that we're seeing out there. And there's all these articles about sh- shipping containers falling off ships lately. It's just it's it's just interesting to see what's going on with that. Now on the opposite view, Professor Siegel, he is at Wharton, he's kind of a uh, the guru considered, I guess you could say over at Wisdom Tree, which has a bunch of ETFs. He says stocks could rise another 30%, but he just says that because they could rise another 30% before going down by 20%. And he said the same thing in 2013. Despite all the recent bubble talk, it's entirely possible that stocks could rise 30% or higher from here, he said on CNBC. However, it's not because valuations are cheap. All right, so getting back to that discussion, I was talking about Jeffrey Gundlach, who's saying basically U.S. stocks are expensive. He likes Asian and European stocks better. Professor Siegel... Over at Wharton, and also you can see him on those Wisdom Tree commercials. Wisdom Tree runs a lot of different what they call smart beta ETFs, so they look at different indexes and you know peel out companies that pay dividends or have more revenue growth or, or whatever it may be. So they put rules on for screening out stocks from the dividend, from the indexes. But he said stocks could rise another thirty percent before seeing one of these 20% corrections. And he said the same thing in 2013. He's been a perma bear, I mean, sorry, perma bull for quite a while. He's always pretty positive on stocks, but he's not saying that because stocks are cheap, he said, because he's looking at 19 times trailing earnings in terms of a PE ratio, price to earnings ratio. Um, And if you look at forward earnings, it's over 22 times forward earnings. That's on the high end. And you can read more about what he talked about on CNBC because we've seen higher, we've seen 23 plus. The issue is, is that where's the money going to go, right? Bonds are still yielding historical lows. Um, rates popped up a little bit, but then they've came back down. And they're still a third of what they are, what they were rather in 2007 before the credit crisis. and. There's a lot of stimulus going on and that the budget deficits are already expanding as a result of this. The US doesn't really want higher rates because if rates go up and government bonds are higher rates, then that just causes more budget issues. So longer term, the dollar is likely to decline against some other currencies if the budget deficits don't kind of get under wrap here. And unfortunately, instead of the government concentrating on how money is used, current income is used that our government takes from taxpayers, and whether it's wasted overseas or just misused by politicians in some way, shape, or form, now we're getting this talk of, okay, let's go higher taxes. Now, the 2017 Tax Act created a situation for most people where taxes went down. And there is that group that I've talked about that higher upper middle class income that just bought a house in the Bay Area or in Oregon, things like that, because of the salt limitations of the state income, state and local tax limitation deductions on the federal return that kind of got hit. A lot of wealthier people were already paying. We're already losing that anyways because of the AMT tax. So we didn't. You know, necessarily need that 2017 tax cut the way it was done. It was nice and created a lot of opportunities, especially for retirees, especially people that retire at 65 and they could do some really cool Roth conversion strategies until they hit age 72, which is your required minimum distribution age from your retirement accounts, which I've gotten into in the past. But the approach to the higher taxes, I just don't like it. I mean, I I think the, the government needs to look within first, figure out where money's going and make that work better before raising taxes. As a business owner that has created jobs, the whole, the wealthy don't pay their fair share is a bunch of crap. I can tell you that flat out. And I know how tax returns work. So you can't tell me that by targeting a small percentage of the population that that's necessarily deemed fair, especially when you're not dealing with corporate tax issues and all of the loopholes that are involved in it. It's just the whole system needs to be fixed. It really, truly does. It's just the tax code is a disaster. They just keep putting layers upon layers upon layers. And the way that the media comes out, it's all of a sudden people, everyone thought that they're going to pay a higher capital gains rate. It's only for people that are making more than a million dollars of income. But what I don't know yet is, let's say you're a person making $200,000 of income and you sell a rental property because it's no longer a good deal and you just want out. But you've got a big gain on it because you've owned it in California for years. And all of a sudden, with your capital gain plus your income... That's over a million. Does that put you at the higher rate? Or do they just look at your income and then say that capital gains is still going to be at a lower rate? There's still a lot of uncertainties when it comes to what's going to happen here. A lot of uncertainties. But you know, taxes could go back to where they were prior to 2017 on capital gains where they're at twenty percent. Raising the capital gains to that level could raise thirty-three billion over 10 years. The other part of this is the idea that Biden wants to end the step-up in basis, which could raise $113 billion over 10 years. So what is a step-up in basis? How does that work? Because I've often said to you that California and Oregon, they're both very expensive places to make money, to create jobs, to have a high income and live because of the really high state income taxes, especially in California, where you can get up to 13.3%. So if you're talking about in California, capital gains taxes, that would be 39.6% plus that Medicare surtax, 43.4%. And then you add on to that a 13.3% California income tax. That's ridiculous. To sell something, you're going to lose well over half of your gains to the state of California and the government, which doesn't do a good job with what they have already. Like sending massive amounts of money overseas before we fix our own healthcare system, before we fix our homeless system. It's just, this is wrong. But getting back to the point of the step up in basis the whole system is a bit of a joke anyways because we have this estate tax system right which doesn't affect that many people anymore and even when it was a lower amount that you could pass on to your heirs there's so many ways to successfully reduce or avoid estate taxes by charitable remainder trust and certain type of gifting 529 plans all sorts of good stuff out there but it's a success tax it's like the government saying you did too good we're going to take half of what you have over a certain amount. And a lot of this was done to kind of stop like these giant family dynasties. But if you're a business owner and you've done a really good job creating a whole bunch of jobs for people, treated employees well, and you were rewarded because you live in America and you made a lot of money and all of a sudden you die, the government gets 45% over a certain amount. It's, it's just not fair. It's ridiculous and we need to do a little bit more like what Canada did Which is kind of under this proposal that I'll talk about in a moment It'll end the step up in basis, but it should end the estate tax as well If we end the step up in basis Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month With no nightly rates, taxes or fees You might call it the Suitcases always packed pass Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass The Will it Be the beach, city, mountains are all three pass Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass Endless travel for twenty five hundred dollars per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at InspiradoPass dot com. I was just actually reading on the break here a uh, article in the Wall Street Journal: Biden to propose one point eight trillion dollar plan aimed at families, tax hikes for the wealthiest Americans. There's actually some good stuff in here because there is a a big push. To make childcare more affordable for low and middle income families and boost federal funding to childcare providers. And this is this is a big issue. It's it's a issue, especially for single parents and things like that, that they're trying to work, but the cost of daycare is really, really high. If they're working for an employer that doesn't have kind of built-in daycare, it's really tough on people. And the people that have really struggled the most during COVID when everybody had to stay at home and kids couldn't go to school is those with young kids. they were trying to balance working from home and having their kids be at home and manage their Zoom education from home, which has been really tough for a lot of people. So it talks about the raising the top income tax rate to 39.6% from 37%. That's for households making more than a million raising the top rate on capital gains and dividends and dividends guys capital gains and dividends to 39.6 from 20% again that's people making over a million a year and then uh, including existing payroll and investment taxes at each 3.8% on those top wages so you're you're talking about a top federal rate of 43.4% along with California's rate of 13.3 and a little over 9 for Oregon this is going to cause a lot of wealthy people to move out of states like California and Oregon. It, it, it just will. I mean, now, the, in a proposal that wasn't part of his campaign, the Wall Street Journal says Mr. Biden would expand that 3.8% tax on types of income that it doesn't currently cover. So it would include active income and earned business income, partnerships, S-corps, basically everything, including your real estate income. Mr. Biden and his wife Jill Biden used a common technique of involving S-corporations to avoid the 3.8% tax on much of their book and speech income, by the way. They point that out in the Wall Street Journal. Um, So I do like the approach of creating some childcare and things like that. They're even talking about the plan that would limit real estate investors' ability to exchange properties without reporting capital gain income by capping that break at $500,000. So right now when people want to sell a rental property or a commercial property that they're getting income from to send the money somewhere else. You just do a 1031 exchange. And that's going to be capped at a half a million dollars, which is not good for the real estate industry in any way, shape, or form. I do not like that at all. Um, But getting back to what I was talking about before the break, what I'm seeing so far is not a change in the estate tax Limits Now, I'm not 100% sure on this, but we were pretty much under the impression that the amount that a person could pass when they die would be cut in half again. So it would go to prior to 2017 tax cut. So right now, over $11.5 million each person has. So a married couple can pass almost $23 million to their kids without any estate tax. That's a very high number. When I first got into the business twenty six years ago, you could pass six hundred and fifty thousand dollars to your heirs without an estate tax. And estate taxes are garbage, in my opinion. It's a success tax. So the government just basically says you made too much or created too much. We're now going to take some of that from you. Do they redistribute it to poor people and homeless people and and create healthcare? No, they send a lot of money overseas and do a lot of garbage with it, in my opinion. But at the same time, we all get a step up in basis. So California and Washington are community property states. And when you're married in California and Washington, when the first spouse dies, as long as you hold title to everything correctly, your non-retirement account assets get a step up in basis. So if you're a married couple and you bought a house in the Bay Area 50 years ago, and you have huge gains on it, and you bought a bunch of Apple stock 20 years ago, and you got huge gains on it. When the first spouse dies, everything gets a step up in basis, and you can sell those assets and pay zero capital gains tax. Same thing when you die and you leave those assets to your kids. It all gets a step up in basis. That's in any state. You get a step up in basis, and the kids can then take those stocks, the real estate, everything else, sell everything without any capital gains tax. And That's that's a little bit silly, right? It's like, why don't we just get rid of the estate tax altogether and get rid of the step-up in basis altogether and make it a little bit more fair? Um, But doing it like this, where you're just doing it for the top people, here's what happens oftentimes in this. In order to pay those extra taxes that are... that. People are going to incur a lot of times they're business owners, they all they're, they're landlords, they own real estate. Guess what? Rents go up, the price of goods go up, everything else. So it's just I don't get I don't get it. I, I I don't get the fact that we don't have politicians that will first look within, like they would run a business. What's the first thing a CEO does when he comes in and gets hired to fix a business? Look at all they look at all the cost. They look at positions that are duplicated. People get can't, right? They they clean out, they clean house, they make things run better with what they have. And then they focus on how they grow revenue to create better goods and services. And we're just not getting that out of our politicians. So if Biden does this and he's 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 hiding under the idea that, well, we're not going to change anything in terms of the estate tax. Under current law, the twenty seventeen tax cut sunsets in twenty six twenty twenty six anyway. So that means is that gonna is that gonna go away? There's so many things that need clarification before this is gonna go through the House and the Senate. Um so this has still gotta kind of make its way through Congress, and there's going to be some tweaks to it. Uh it, You know, if you're a higher income earner, though, taxes are going to be going up. So you could see a bit of just selling and rebalancing for people that say, you know what, I I need to take some of the gains in some of my highly concentrated positions, or I've got some real estate that I know I want to sell in the next couple of years anyways, I might as well just sell it now before I face higher capital gains. A lot of issues to consider um, when that comes into play. But really, if you're not earning more than a million dollars, I don't think you have a lot to worry about. So you can kind of continue to invest and save like like nothing else. It's really affecting the higher income earners. But that whole getting rid of the step-up in basis, that's new. I don't think that was part of the, the campaign. And if they get rid of the step-up in basis, but they lock in the current amount that people can pass on estate tax-wise or eliminate the estate tax altogether, I think that makes sense over the long term for this country. It it does. Um, I guess that's all I'll say about that. But here's some of the things that I'm going to talk about. If capital gain taxes go up, I predict that wealthy people will move out of California and Oregon. They've already been going. Like Businesses will be pulled out and moved as a result of this. The mutual fund industry is going to shrink even more. ETFs are going to become more popular. So in, in your 401k, you're likely investing in mutual funds. And that's fine because in your 401k, when a mutual fund buys or sells stocks within a 401k or an IRA or a Roth, it doesn't matter, right? It's all deferred. But if people are investing outside of their retirement accounts and they're investing in mutual funds, mutual funds distribute more capital gains every year than ETFs. ETFs or exchange-traded funds are more tax-efficient than mutual funds because when people sell shares of their mutual funds, when they, they, the funds actually sell stock inside of the fund. ETFs generally do not sell securities when investors redeem shares. They do most of their trading in the secondary market, so they are able to cross their sell orders with their buy orders. So that's why ETFs tend to be more tax-efficient and you're starting to see a lot of mutual funds launch actively managed ETFs they're they're versions of the funds but they're traded like an ETF because of the tax efficiency so ETFs are going to become more and more popular as a result of this there i mean there's certain funds out there like Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF VIG they sent out zero capital gains in 2020. Whereas a lot of dividend growth-oriented funds sent out a lot of capital gains in 2020. So more and more actively managed ETFs will go out there. People will also just kind of hold stuff longer, right? People that are often that wealthy, they're not selling stuff to live. They're living off dividends from their stocks, interest from their bonds, and income from their real estate or the business. So people just kind of hold stuff longer. So you'll probably see a lot of kind of transactions, a lot of rebalancing, a lot of money flowing into ETFs as a result of a lot of this. Um, What are some other things? You'll probably see wealthier people do more things like collateralized loans on security. So I have a lot of clients that that not only do they have a lot of money invested in the stock market, but they also do real estate transactions. They find a piece of property. um, They'll... You know fix it up, run it out, flip it, whatever it may be, and instead of selling their stocks and paying a bunch of capital gains to raise the cash to buy these houses and or commercial buildings with all cash because a lot of times right now we have to put in all cash offers. you can do a collateralized loan on your securities at a pretty decent interest rate, use the money, get the property, refinance, pull the cash out and, and pay the money back and it's different from a margin loan need some help with your financial planning, retirement planning overall wealth management taxes, retirement planning, estate planning taxes. We do it all. Just check out chadburton.com. You can see the whole team at EP Wealth. And a lot of what we do as certified financial planners is tax planning. And tax planning gets pretty intensive, especially from retirement on because you have different types of investments that you're going to draw from in retirement. You typically have some cash Typically, have your 401ks and IRAs that have not been taxed. You have hopefully some Roth money that's never going to be taxed. And blending income sources, realizing how much dividends and interest you're getting from your investments, realizing what you're going to be forced to take at age 72. Your 401ks and IRAs, you have to take money out when you're 72 years old, 403Bs included. And a lot of people can lose control of their taxes. Their income can go way up. And you can actually handle some of that early on from the date of retirement to before age 72 by doing IRA to Roth conversions. Big part of tax planning. If capital gains taxes go way up, up, the way that we deal with that is going to, it's just going to make certified financial planners, tax people more busy on how to avoid getting hit with that higher capital gains tax. So people are going to invest more in ETFs. People are just going to hold longer. Collateralized loans on securities that I mentioned when people need liquidity for a short period of time. What's interesting is that for those earning over a million dollars, typically a small percentage of the population, they're going to more likely... it's, It's weird to say this, but variable annuities, lower fee variable annuities are going to become popular again where people can invest in them and all the gains are deferred until you take it out and it's taxes, ordinary income. They'll get popular again. When I got into the business 26 years ago, capital gains taxes were 27%. It was a high bracket. And so annuities were actually quite popular and quite useful. And then tax laws changed, and they became most of them became worthless to put more money into them. Every once in a while, we'd find a decent one for some safer money or some income-for-life money for retirees. But as a way to build wealth, annuities are awful. But that might change for people that have high income like this, over a million dollars. And then there's different versions of life insurance that you can pull money out tax-free that'll become a little bit more popular for these wealthier people. You have to be very careful with investments and insurance. When you combine life insurance and investments, most of those things are garbage and not worth your time. And people do a really good job of selling them because they make a ton of money on commissions. There's even people that try to get You had to take money out of your house and put it in life insurance. So very careful of that, but you will hear more about it if capital gains go up. There's going to be more and more exchange funds likely for concentrated positions. So if you have a concentrated position in a stock, there's ways to put into exchange fund and leave it in there for a certain period of time. And once you take it back out, you kind of get a diversified portfolio out of it. It's too much to explain on radio. Um, Charitable remainder unit trusts are going to be more and more popular. They're pretty popular right now. We're working on several. And this is where you can transfer stock or real estate that you know you want to sell into a charitable remainder trust, sell everything in there, reallocate to a balanced, diversified portfolio, get a huge tax deduction, income for life, and then leave the leftover to your favorite charity or to your donor advised fund when you pass away. And there's lots of estate planning techniques that are involved in that. So those things are going to become more popular. Probably hear me talk a lot more about those opportunities. One, real quickly, I've got just a few minutes left. As people travel more and more, I'll hit this on the next show because I've only got a couple of minutes left, but talking about travel as people get back, I mean, if you've been to an airport lately, it's all of a sudden packed, right? Flights are packed. People are getting out and about. And that's good to see. So let's talk travel a little bit. ATM fees. Now, as I've mentioned earlier in the show, I've been bouncing around a lot since my home has been gutted. I haven't been able to live at home. So it's like bouncing between Airbnbs where I live for short periods of time, and then the Inspirato travel pass that I use. And so, if you ha- if you want a vacation kind of in style and go to a lot of cool places, and you're traveling with typically a lot of people, family members, you don't like hotel rooms. Don't really cut it for you because you need to be able to cook and have several rooms inspirato travel pass has been pretty sweet um really enjoyed it and recently they had something pop up at the viceroy in cabo so it's very very amazing place beautiful look it up viceroy in cabo when i landed in cabo i had no cash in my wallet i very rarely have cash it's kind of funny um but i needed cash for tips the driver and taxis and stuff like that so I got 500 bucks out and I looked at my bank account. I got charged $547 and 70 cents. Supposed to be a financial guy, right? Now that my bank did refund me $16 and 43 cents, I'm still trying to figure out what happened to the rest of the money. I, I I don't know yet, but it made me look up. There's a great article and maybe I'll post it on the new focus, the Chad Burton podcast, Facebook page on what debit cards to use if you're, Traveling. So if you start traveling again, check it out. There's some good cards with SoFi. If you have a checking account of SoFi or Schwab has a pretty decent one, it looks like, where you can get reimbursed travel fees. Look, avoid ATMs at the airport and avoid exchanging money at the airport. Reading into this, this is not a good way to go. So as I finally have a chance in life to travel a bit more, it looks like I've got to get a little bit smarter about which cards to use and where and how to pick cash out so I'll talk a little bit more about it on future shows um But the points guide does a great job in outlining this, so if you're going to travel to anywhere foreign since you're if you're vaccinated out and about again, then number one tell your cards when you're traveling overseas. So you don't get locked out and you can't even do anything, but also get a little bit smarter when you need cash. Because most of the things I do with this, with a good travel credit card, but you can't avoid getting cash. You got to have it. So I'll I'll post this, like I said, you can find me at, if you go to Facebook, it's the Chad Burton podcast, but the easiest way to find it is go to chadburton.com and find out more about my team of certified financial planners that I work with. And you can find links to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of the platforms to find the podcast that you can download. You can listen to it whenever you want. And tell your friends about it. Shoot me a like on Facebook. Download it. Tell a friend about the show. If you need help with your financial planning, money management, shoot, hit me up at chadburton.com. Have a great day, everyone.